We've arrived in our study of Genesis at one of the most famous stories in Scripture, what we think of as Noah's and his ark. There's, there's a lot going on in the text, and, but I'm going to try to make it quick today, right? Often we think of it as a children's story. I remember our kids had these little wooden animals and a wooden ark to play with. Also, there was a plastic one with that had all, all these little cute, fat, little chubby animals and an old man with a gray beard and, and a bird on his shoulder. That was Noah, I think. He was like an old pirate, strange but cute. Anyway, the point is, when we think of Noah's Ark, many images come into our minds, along with many questions. I'm going to address some of those today, real quick, before I get to what I believe God wants us to hear as the point of his text today. Noah's Ark is a wonderful, wonderfully horrific story of death and destruction, a story of judgment the world has never seen and won't see again until Jesus returns. Let me say right up front, I believe the story of Noah is a historical event. It's not an allegory or a metaphor. I say this because I believe Jesus, and Jesus referred to Noah and the flood as a historical event. Look at Matthew 24 with me, verses 37 to 39. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be when the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, the people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, and on the day of Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus is talking to his disciples here about when he will come back to the earth. And he says it will be just like it was with Noah. People will be living life, doing as they please. And then it will be too late for them. Just like it was too late for the people of Noah's time when they found themselves locked out. That's the part of the story that gives so many people trouble. Historians say that because the people lived longer, right? We, we read in chapter 4 and chapter 5 how long people lived at that time. They, that resulted in there being at least a billion people on the face of the earth at this time. 1,600 years into creation, a billion people, and now they're gone forever. Noah's Ark is no fairy tale. It's a story of God's judgment and God's salvation. Now, I don't understand everything, and frankly, God, I don't think, wanted us to understand everything, or he would have put it all in the text. He'd have made more details available to us. I have some questions that I'll, that I'll have to wait until I can ask him in person, but I have a feeling that when I get to see God, I won't care about my questions as much. But some of those I have right now are just simple ones, ones that you may share with me. Was the flood a worldwide phenomenon, or was it just a local event? I'll say this, because this isn't the point of today's message. I do believe it was a worldwide event. Rather, further, I would say that it's very good chance the world was a bit different. But you may say it was just in the Middle East. I'm okay with that. You know, at least right now I am. Another question people have is, is where did all the water come from? There's no way it could rain that much. I agree. It couldn't rain that much. But again... It's a supernatural event, an act of judgment by God. So our understanding of natural rain and the floods, they don't apply here. This is where my understanding that the world looked a bit different comes in, right? Because Scripture helps us see that, that the water was coming up from the ground. Genesis isn't trying to tell us how it flooded, though. Remember that. But who caused the flood and why? Why? But still we have questions. 
because it's such a fantastic story. How did Noah have room for all the animals? I'm standing here with these two knuckleheads. There are millions of different kinds of animals on the earth. How did Noah do it? First, and we'll see shortly that Noah didn't do it, that God did. But to answer this, I did a little research, just looking at dogs, right? Mine's running around here somewhere. They're my favorites. Looking at dogs, geneticists tell us that 2,000 years ago, there were only four breeds of dogs. And look at it today. AKC recognizes there's almost 200 breeds. So in, there were four, now there are 200 in 2,000 years. It's not so hard to think that 6,000 years ago, there may have been only one breed. And if you're able to think along these lines, how many different species of mammals are there? Scientists say there's around 7,000 different mammals. So if Noah was able to start with two of each, that's 14,000 animals. And you add in the smaller birds and reptiles, and you're talking 30,000, 40,000 animals tops. Difficult, a zoo, but not unthinkable. There's much we don't know about the flood. And if you're one of those people who are looking for scientific proof of the flood, I would challenge you to provide scientific proof for anything of history. You can't because science is about observation. It's about observing things that are happening now. And the, the only people who observe the flood are dead. And remember, Genesis isn't a science book. Its purpose is to tell the history of the nation of Israel. It's their family tree, a record of their ancestors, letting them know who they are and how they're related to God. And the flood is a big part of that story. All our questions, though, can get too much for us. And, and when there's so many questions, it might be easier for us just to accept it as a children's story, a fable told by a generation of Israelites to explain God's wrath and, and why everyone should fear offending God. Maybe. Jesus saw the events of Noah and the flood as a, as a preview of what was happening in his life. A preview of his ultimate victory over sin and death. Where the New Testament describes Jesus' victory coming by fire, the Old Testament describes God's destruction of sin by water. We can think of a boat filled with all cute animals and a fat little gray-haired man with a bird on his shoulder looking up at a rainbow. But look beneath the waterline, and what you see is God is undoing creation. Creation that had been declared good, very good, had become corrupted. Genesis 6, 12 through 13 says, God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people on the earth. It's filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. The world was evil, all evil, all the time. People were consumed with, with sex, corruption, and violence. And wonder what that was like? I can't imagine it was much different than, than how we have it today. I mean, I read in the this week that, that sociologists say 70% of a television program involves images, depictions, or discussion of sex. Think of the last TV show or movie you saw that didn't include those. Corruption and violence? Think of the last newspaper or magazine that didn't include those. I mean, today, we are... We are fed and, and we feed on a constant diet of these things. If people aren't showing us, sh showing them to us, then, then, many, then our enemy has trained us to seek them out. These have become normal, expected part of life, and at least here in the West, right, in America, to the point that, that we seldom are offended by them, unless maybe our kids are in the room, maybe. This reveals what I see playing out in today's text, that God is patient, but his judgment is unavoidable. The flood came 120 years after it was foretold as his judgment for sin. 
In fact, it had been around 1,600 years since Adam and Eve had eaten that forbidden fruit. 1,600 years for creation to get to the point that God had to do something. He couldn't take it anymore. That's the thing about God's judgment. He seems willing to let it go on for a while. Scripture says that in order for that some might be saved. But but then the judgment comes, and it is unavoidable. I was at a baseball game with a friend of mine, Denny Kendall, but just before he passed away. And we were both complaining about the umpire, and Denny had been an umpire. And he, he told me a story about one player who had told him that he didn't know what he was doing, and he decided that day that, that she would strike out. The player turned to argue with him, and... and he reminded her that, that she may have thought it was a ball, but the only opinion that matters is that of the umpire. The same is true for judgment. God may seem precocious, but, but since God is the only judge, his opinion is the only one that matters. God is always on time, and his judgment is always true. But as we have seen in Genesis so far, in the story of Adam and Eve, then with Cain and Abel, and again we see in the story of the flood, God's desire is to save in fact, while God's nature leads him to act with justice and judge and punish sin, God has a plan for salvation. And in his account of God's salvation, we see God working through a man named Noah. Scripture says, as we looked last week, that Noah found favor with God's grace. God extended his provenient grace, and Noah responded to it. Hebrews 11 verse 7 tells us, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. We're going to see this play out in our text today. What made Noah so special? It was faith. He saw God at work in the world, and he believed. There wasn't a dogma to believe, yet there, there wasn't a, a law to follow. There wasn't a creed to memorize, but as Scripture says, God is clearly seen in what has been made, so all men are without excuse. God's grace was revealed, and Noah believed it. His belief led him to walk with the Lord, to live faithfully. This faithful living is marked by Noah, by how God told, by doing what God told him to do. Not when it was convenient, Noah did it. Like when you say, come down, it's time for dinner. Hang on, Mom, I'm busy. Okay, let's get in the car. We're going for pizza. Oh, here we come. Rebelliously. Clean your room. I did. Well, why are all the clothes under your bed? No, Noah obeyed with godly obedience. He obeyed willingly, eagerly. Noah wanted. Noah walked with the Lord. He showed godly obedience. God told him to do something, and out of respect, he obeyed. And this set him apart from everyone else at the time. It's so hard to believe, but that's what the scriptures say, that no one was like Noah. Verse 9 says, this is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. That's who we're talking about today, someone who walked faithfully with God. My wife, Michelle, asked me to go for a walk with her the other night, and almost every night. Usually I have an excuse not to. Not washing the dishes or something helpful like that is not one of my excuses. But the other night I said yes. Granted, it was out of guilt for all the times that I had said no. I've been thinking of the time that I had missed walking with her. Anyway, I said yes. And, and you know what? I actually enjoyed it. We walked. We talked about the day. We talked about our kids, our dog. It got me to thinking. 
people walk by our house every day. And you know what would happen the next time I saw someone walk by and I ran out the front door and said, hey, wait up, wait for me. I want to walk with you. When I caught up with them and walked a mile or so, they'd think I was crazy because they don't know me and I don't know them. But it makes sense to walk with someone you know, someone who knows you. Noah walked with God. And as they walked, Noah grew to know God more and more and obey God's will. That's the first work of obedience we see from Noah is this preparation. Noah prepared according to God's design. He's sneaking up on me. Noah is living his life and, and God comes along and tells him his plan. In Genesis 11 through 18, Now the earth was corrupted in the God's sight, full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people. All the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood and make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long and 300 cubits wide and um, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a room, make a roof for it, leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark that makes lower and middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring flood water on the earth to destroy all the life under the heavens. Every creature that has breath in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And, I will enter, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. Everything on earth will be destroyed, but I will establish my covenant with you. It was God's plan to save Noah. The ark, you see, was God's idea. Noah didn't think of this. It, it's God who alone who saves. Noah wasn't thinking about judgment and, and uh, oh, he wasn't thinking about needing salvation. He was just walking with the Lord, and the Lord revealed it to him. But God had a plan for salvation, a plan that included an ark. It was more like a barge, really. I mean, honestly, when you see the picture of the ark and it has a uh, sneaking up on me, I got to keep my own. And the dimensions of the ark were, were, were particular, right? Dimensions that shipbuilders today would say are ideal for the task, providing safety for the contents, for the passengers. But also, the design of the ark was sufficient for Noah and his family to care for the animals and God to lead them. You notice that the description doesn't include a sail or a rudder. No steering needed because God was in control. The barge was ordained by God to preserve life, and Noah built it just that way. I, I know you're thinking, yeah, but God, God told him exactly what to build, and so he did it. How hard is that? Remember, he only had hand, hand tools to work with. And he was building a huge boat, a boat that, that wouldn't be matched in size until the 1800s. Building a boat a thousand miles from the ocean. That took faith. Faith that developed by walking with God. As Genesis 6.22 put it, Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Walking with the Lord, our work reflects God's design. Do you see your work as, as holy work? Your time in the office, your, your time volunteering, your time fixing things, making deliveries, helping clients, taking care of the kids, the grandkids, teaching, managing people, getting things done. Do, do you approach it as a holy work or as a, as a job? Is it, are they requirements or is, are they a calling? 
when you walk with the Lord at work, we begin to be able to, to live into God's design, experiencing our work as a calling. The message tells us that, do, that God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God has done for you is the best thing you can do for Him. That's God's desire for us, to approach our life as a calling. And then we see that Noah performed according to God's plan. He prepared, and then he performed. Genesis 7, 1-4 says, The Lord then said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its, and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep the, their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain upon the earth for 40 days and 40 nights i will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature i've made verse 5 noah did everything just as god commanded we don't know that noah's sons helped with the ark construction i mean it's it's probably pretty safe to say they did but but either way the big takeaway is this when we walk with the lord we act according to god's plan like noah did Walking with the Lord, we act according to God's plan. This may not seem like a big deal at first, but it is. I mean, look with me. Remember that the situation, right? Everything had become corrupted, yet Noah found favor with the Lord and walked with him. Noah was righteous because of his faith. He prepared as God directed him, and now he was performing as God had called him. When we operate in step with God, it changes things. They didn't know it. But on Wednesday, I spent some time watching Linda Foote and Pat Liner as they prepared for, for kids to come on to youth group on Wednesday night. They got there probably 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. They had no idea how many kids to expect, but you would have thought they were expecting an army. I mean, they were so excited. I mean, it was fun to watch them buzz around the kitchen doing as God led them. Look at it again. Remember what has happened. Adam and Eve sinned. Then their sons sinned. His children became corrupted by sin. And that led to the corruption of others and others until everything was corrupt. And then Noah, whose name means relief or rest, he breaks the pattern. And what do we see happen? As a result of his faithful walk with God, his family and all the animals are saved from destruction. Because, Noah's, because of Noah's faithfulness, his family was saved. Everyone was saved. In fact, I'm sure Noah seemed pretty strange to the people around him in, the, in his community, his village where he lived, as he was moving into the ark, but he was faithful. He didn't worry about what others saw him do, but what God asked of him. Are we willing to appear fools to the world in order to be faithful to God's way of living? Are we willing to be Noah for someone, to break the pattern, and to provide a means for them to hear a word of hope and salvation? Everyone wasn't saved, but some were. That's a good approach to our lives. When we live according to God's plan, good things happen to others. We aren't the only beneficiaries. In fact, it may cost us dearly. I mean, it cost Noah many years of his life and hard labor. It cost Linda and Pat their afternoon as well as some money for the food. But it was worth it for the cost that some might be saved. This leads to the third thing that occurred as a result of Noah walking with the Lord, and that 
Noah arrived with godly perspective. When our kids get too big to, to sit in our laps on flights, we started driving to see relatives down at home. It's a long trip, like 16-hour drive. And we started to drive at night so the kids would sleep through a part of it. Uh, but, of course, that means when we get there the next day, I was exhausted. I mean, it would take me like two days to recover from driving all night. I was miserable because I was focused on pleasing two kids. And we know how hard that is, right? <laughs> Noah didn't work to please kids. Even though they re reaped the benefits of his work, no, he labored to please God. So after a year, a year of swatting flies like I've been doing for just a few minutes, it was time. Genesis 8, 15 to 22 says, Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark, you and your wife and your sons and their wives. Bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, all the creatures that move along the ground, so that they can multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. So Noah came out together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives and all the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground, all the birds and everything that moves on the land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and said in his heart, Never again will I curse the ground because of humans. Every, though every thought, inclination of the human heart is evil from childhood, and never again will I destroy all living creatures as I have done. As long as the earth endures, Seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. Noah had been obedient all the way through. After nine months on the ark, swatting flies like I've been doing for nine minutes, they had come to rest on Mount Ararat. And now, a month later, he was sending out birds, realized that the water has gone, and yet he waits another two months for God to call him out of the ark. Two months of waiting for God to call him. And still, the first thing he does when he gets out is worship God. The first thing Noah does after over a year in the ark is to worship God. The flood came as a result of, of well, creation needing to be reset. We see this because the exact thing that got us into this problem was because one, Adam and Eve decided not to obey God, even though he had told them that death resulted from disobedience, but Noah obeyed because he to avoid death. Second, Cain launched himself into the life of sin because he came to worship with a poor heart. And here we see Noah's first move to worship. I, I can't think of a more tempting occasion to do something for yourself than spending a, after spending a year in a barn locked with a bunch of animals. I mean, I want to get out of here and just breathe. But Noah doesn't think of himself. He thinks of God. Why? Because he was walking with the Lord. Walking with the Lord... His worship becomes a priority for him. I don't want to say, I don't want to say to you, you know, what you should do is worship, because that that will just tempt to add guilt to you, because you try to go through the motions, and and when your heart isn't in it, it just becomes religion. What I wanted to encourage you today is is to walk with the Lord, spend time with Him, pray, read His Word, get to know Him, get alone, respond to His grace, walk with the Lord, and your whole life becomes an act of worship. Even doing the hard things, the trusting Him with your future, that's how you can tell if you're walking with Him. Do you trust Him, or are you living to earn your way? Living for you is exhausting. Living for God gives life. 
pray that today you find these words life-giving to you. That today you might begin to reorient your life around living for God. Living out of His love for you. I can tell you that this is no fun, even though they are uh, they're great. But they're not much fun to uh, be around for very long. They kind of stink. They don't think so. But let me tell you, to be with the Lord makes this worth it. I pray that today you seek God. I pray that today is the beginning of a new way of living for you and all those around you. Lord, I ask you to speak to us, to bring us close to you, Father, that we may begin to live out of our relationship with you, out of our time spent walking with you, God, that we can see all the problems of life in a right perspective. Out of a right perspective that we find in you. Lord, we ask, God, that you go before us. Call us close. Let us keep up with you. Equip us to live, God. Let us to see your plan and give us the ability to fulfill it. Let us live confidently and boldly, knowing that you called us and you sent us. Lord, for those who have seen this video and they, they, they see their lives and they see Noah and, uh, and how they compare or they, they fail to compare, Lord, let us not judge that way. Let us seek you in all we do. Now, if you join me in Reno and our benediction today, remember, life is much more than an act. Wherever you go, believe that God needs you. Wherever you are, trust that God has put you there, that he has a purpose for you being there. Christ, alive in you, seeks to do something for you no matter where you are. Believe this and go in his grace and his love and his power. All right? God bless you all. Have a fantastic weekend. We hope to see you soon in person. All right? To teach my soul to rise to you When temptation comes my way When I cannot stand, I'll fall